yesterday, we went to the Highland County Maple Festival. Fun times, yeah. Uh, but here's a piece of advice, okay? If you are ever in a place where you're, you know, preaching or have like a very early morning activity, don't go to the Highland County Maple Festival the day before and eat a bunch of sugar. <laughs> I didn't wake up feeling very good this morning. But <laughs> a few weeks back, I was in the like outskirts of Highland County and I was grouse hunting, right? So my dog and I, I've got a little bird dog and, and we're, you know, we're, we're working hard. We're miles back on this mountain. We had pushed through some stuff, man. And we're like probably, I don't know, five to seven miles back. And I was like, I need, I need to take a break, right? We had, we had worked hard. I was like, I need to sit down and eat a snack. So that morning I had gone in to our cabinet and grabbed a few snacks. And so I, you know, I threw them in the bag and I was like, all right, time to pull out a snack. And I pull these cookies and I'm snacking on them. And I mean, they're no chips ahoy, right? But they're fine, they're, they're working. So I'm eating, I'm probably half to three quarters of the way through the bag. And I'm, you know, I'm just looking around, right? Like the, like the uh, you know, I'm looking at the trees, I'm looking at the ground, and I just look down at this bag of cookies and, well, this is what I see. I think we have a picture. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep, I'm here, I wanna debunk any myths, I did not produce any milk, okay? But, but somebody might wanna call that company and tell them their, their stuff doesn't work, okay? So, <laughs> that's how grouse hunting is in Virginia, right? Like you push and you push and it's tough. You've gotta bushwhack, you've gotta work through briars, you've gotta work through mountain laurel. Like it is not easy, they're in some steep terrain, and, you know, years ago, like my parents' generation, many of you might have been around during this time where grouse were plentiful in Virginia. But due to habitat loss and progression of different farming techniques and whatnot, there is not uh, appropriate habitat. So you have to go, you know, you have to search far, like to the, to the highest peaks of the mountains to find these grouse in Virginia now. And when you hunt them, man, you have to work. Like when you, when you feel like you've exhausted your efforts, you have to push harder. And when you're, when you're like, man, like, I, you know, I've worked five you know, to 10 miles and I haven't seen anything, guess what? Unless you don't want success, you have to keep pushing in order to find success. And uh, we ended up pushing probably 10 miles that day and we jumped one bird. And it caught me by such surprise, I didn't even take a shot. Uh, but this section of scripture that we're in today reminds me of that. It's, it's kind of, Paul kind of encourages the church in Thessalonica to keep going, right? Like what this, this whole uh, book was written out of was this place of encouragement for Paul, right? So Paul had gone to Thessalonica, planted this church, and he hadn't been there for a while. And so he sent Timothy to go and bring a report back on how that church was doing. And the report that Timothy brought back was a positive report. And when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he was encouraged by the things that they had been doing, right? They had been doing really well in specific areas. And in this specific area that we're talking about today, it was one of those where he was like, man, you guys are, are excelling in what you're doing, but don't hold back. Like, don't stop. Don't get, don't get discouraged. Keep on going. Keep on pushing forth. So let's pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
starting in verse nine. Paul says this, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do this more and more. Let's stop there. So we see, again, Paul was writing, hey, you don't really need anybody to write to you about this because it's something that you're doing well. But he doesn't want them to hold back. He says, do this more and more. Now, when I was reading through this kind of in preparation for um, for preaching, I was like, man, I wonder what the, ch- what the church was doing. Like, like, are there any specific things that we can read that, like Paul was so encouraged by their efforts to love one another. I mean, Paul, we're talking about a guy who like, when we think about like, maybe a, a super Christian, right? Like somebody who's just like, lived faith out so well. We think about Paul. I mean, Paul was just a normal guy like you and me, but he lived out faith well, to the point of brokenness. I mean, he was enslaved, he was beaten, and he kept pressing forth with the gospel. And so to encourage Paul, uh, you probably had to do pretty well at what you were doing to encourage the Apostle Paul. And so I, I dove into some uh, you know, different teachings on 1 Thessalonians chapter four, and there, were, there is really nothing specific that, to say, hey, the church in Thessalonica were doing you know, X, Y, and like this is exactly what they were doing in order to encourage Paul. But what we have is we have scripture. We have teachings on what it looks like to love people, right? We have teachings from Jesus on how, this is how you love people. We have teachings from Paul. We have teachings from other scriptures. We see uh, Old Testament uh, scriptures that talk about what it means to love. And so what we can probably gather is that based on the different teachings of Jesus and Paul and other scriptures, they were probably doing some of these things. And so I wanna read a couple scriptures for you that talk about love. This is something, man, like, we could talk for days and days and days. We could reference scripture upon scripture upon scripture, but I wanna just read a couple for the sake of time. It's, first of all, Matthew chapter five, verses 43 and 45, through 45. This is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Okay, so right there we see an example of what it means to love, right? We love the people that are easy to love, and we love the people who are hard to love. We love the people who bring oppression. We love the people who are in our families. We love our, our direct neighbors. Like we see this, this teaching from Jesus on how to love. Another one I wanna read is in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he, had saw, when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I get back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said. The one uh, who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, now you go and do likewise. And so here are two teachings from Jesus about what it means to love, right? We love our enemies, we pray for those who persecute us, and then when we, uh, you know, see situations, we care for people, we tend to the needy, we tend to the, you know, people who are oppressed. And uh, what we can probably gain these are just two kind of snapshots of love, but these are the type of demonstrations that the church in Thessalonica were probably living out. To encourage the Apostle Paul, they were probably caring for the sick, for the needy. They were probably welcoming people into their homes. They were probably extending uh, a joyful hand to the people who brought oppression to them. Like they, they were not ceasing to love. Paul says, you're doing it well, but don't relent, keep pressing on, keep moving forward. Don't let discouragement stand in the way. I think we can often get into that place where we feel like we've lived things well, right? Like I've been going to church, I've been serving the Lord, I, I, you know, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm in a small group, I, you know, I've been doing these things, but uh, everything feels like it's falling apart. Well, in the words of Paul, don't stop, right? Keep pressing forward because we have the hopeful expectation of what's to come. We might not ever see the glory of, the, of, of you know, what is to come all come to fruition while we are on this earth, but we know and we have that hopeful expectation in what is to come. Let's keep reading uh, verse 11. It says, and to aspire to live quietly. To aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And all the introverts in the room said, amen, right? <laughs> now, I don't wanna get us too excited yet because I wanna clear up a little bit about what Paul was talking about here. What does it mean to live quietly, right? What, what, when Paul says live quietly, what does that mean? I think James paints this well in his gospel. In, in James chapter one, verses 19 through 21, he says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away uh, all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we see this idea of living quietly, not meaning you know, to just go off somewhere and never interact with people, but to live in a place of humility, to live in a way that uh, we're not stirring up strife with one another, to 
not grumble about our family and about our friends. Living quietly means to turn the other cheek when we're wronged. It means not interjecting our voices into places where they don't belong. It means not using Facebook to fulfill a prideful agenda, but allowing the spirit to move and be alive within us. Living quietly does not give us a free pass to turn away from the call of God to seek and save the lost. Let me say that again. Living quietly does not give us a free pass to turn away from the very call of the Lord to seek and save the lost. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. We see this from the, from the mouth of Jesus, we're called to go and make disciples. And so living quietly does not give us a free pass to not do that. Living quietly coaches us on how to posture a heart when we go out onto the world. Because guess what? We're going to run into people that we don't agree with. We're going to face situations that are difficult. Living quietly means not allowing our mind to be captivated by those situations. But in our humility and our patience, as we continue to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, we can handle those situations that are inevitable in a holy way. Living quietly does not permit us to avoid Christ-centered community. Living quietly does not permit us to avoid Christ-centered community. We are called to community. We are called to surround ourselves with other believers. So when Paul talks about living quietly, that, that doesn't mean you can just become a recluse in the mountains and never interact with people. We're called to interact with people. We're called to be disciple makers. And being a disciple maker means uh, being around other people. I wanna read a couple of verses here. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up uh, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Psalm 133, uh, one says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then Colossians 3, 12 through 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think it's very easy for us to allow uh, things that we don't agree with, strife towards other people, especially other believers, we allow that to cause separation, and that separation is not healthy. We're called to forgiveness. We're called to continue to press on in love, even when it's not easy. 
if we read this section of scripture to say that quietness means that we shouldn't ever interact with people, you know, we should just buy some remote cabin and never be around anybody else. We would be thwarting the very words of Paul himself. We would be avoiding the teachings of Jesus. It's important for us to understand that living quietly is a posture of our heart. So instead of telling people something that we know just because we know it and we know that they don't know it and we wanna have that leg up and be like, hey, I know this thing because you don't know it, let's talk about something else. <laughs> instead of logging on to whatever it is, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, I don't know what we use these days, instead of opening up and trying to find things to engage in that are not necessary, Open a book on Christian leadership and learn greater acts of humility. <laughs> Instead of seeking to pry information out of somebody that they have and you want that information, ask them, what's the Lord teaching you these days? In our humanness, we want to engage in ways that are not necessary, but in our holiness, we live in humility, we live in meekness, and we yield to the Spirit. Paul talks about, uh, you know, working with their hands, and, and this is not Paul, you know, saying, like, you know, anything about a specific vocation or, you know, like how we need to work. It's, it's a matter of being diligent and humble in our day-to-day. It's a matter of working hard and pressing into the things that the Lord put in front of us. It's a matter of striving towards those God-sized goals. And if we don't have any, and if we don't have an agenda of, you know, how can I, you know, progress in my faith? How can I experience this idea of sanctification? It's identifying that, engaging a community in a way that allows sanctification to take place. And then as we marry these three concepts, living quietly, minding our own affairs, and working hard towards our God-given goals and the things that the Lord has placed in front of us, we're naturally going to have this demeanor that encourages people. Paul words that we're gonna walk properly before outsiders. People aren't going to see people in the church as people who are, you know, judgy or uh, people who are, you know, overly spiritual. They're going to see people in the church as joyful and radiant. If we marry these concepts, people are going to say, man, I want to be like that person. And what's the differentiating factor between what they are living in and what they want in the person that lives out these concepts, it's holiness. And so when we marry these concepts and live in the way that Paul encourages us to, people are gonna see us and wanna be like us and realize, man, there might be something to this whole Jesus thing. So then we move into this section uh, where Paul is kind of bringing about a sense of uh, encouragement in an area. So, so we see, right, the, the last few verses that we read, Paul was 
encouraged by the way that they were living out their faith, encouraged by the way that they were loving the people around them. The people all throughout Macedonia, they were caring well for them, and Paul was saying, man, you guys are doing awesome. I don't even need to write to you about this, but keep pressing forward. Keep loving people well. And he says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed about this next section, okay? It's the section that probably what had happened is that, that the, the church in Thessalonica had dealt with some sort of uh, death in, in the church, and they were discouraged by losing a brother or a sister. And this is kind of how Paul uh, encourages them, and I wanna read through these verses, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So we're gonna read 13 through 18 really quick. Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I remember when I was a kid, the first time I ever experienced death. I, we were... We were coming, coming home from somewhere. We were in the car, and my parents said, guys, we need to talk to you about something. Kay Lamb has passed away. I remember thinking, wow, like I just saw her on Sunday, and as a kid, I'm trying to like grab a hold of this concept. And, you know, so the week goes on, and, and I think about it here and there. And then Sunday rolls around, and Kay Lamb walks into church. I was like, the nerve of this lady <laughs> put our family through a ringer this week. And uh, I was so confused. I was like, my parents just told me Kay Lamb died, and here I am looking at her. She's walking into church. I was so confused. Well, there's couple Caleems in our family, so it was the wrong one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this idea, this idea of death, of death, Paul didn't want the church to be worried, right? He, he didn't want them to, to, to grieve without hope. When we lose people we, in, who are in the, the, the body of Christ, there is hope. And this is great wisdom for us as we lose people, because we will lose people that we love. We often allow this to be a hang-up, right? Many people who have trouble believing in the Lord, this is a hang-up. Well, how could the Lord allow death? Well, I submit that it's in the Lord's great love and divine authority that he allows death to occur and the confession in a holy God to take its full effect in life ever after. 
We don't hold on to mourning for believers because we know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no more pain, no more hurt. This should be an encouragement for us to press into the spiritual well-being of the people around us. If there are people that we love and care for, this should be an encouragement for us to press into love. Just like Paul was talking to the church in Thessalonica, man, you guys are doing well. You guys are loving the people all throughout Macedonia. You guys are handling this well, but keep going. And we don't have to mourn without hope when we lose believers. So let this be an encouragement for us to pursue people that we love and lead them into a place of confession and who Jesus is. Our families, our friends. That way when we lose them, we don't mourn without hope. So we press on. In death and in difficulty, we press on. Oppression happens, pain happens, hurt happens, death happens. But we press on. We mourn appropriately and we press on. In times of simplicity, we press on. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It can be a wearisome battle to love people well. It can be discouraging to love people well. It was no different for the church in Thessalonica. They dealt with their own oppressions. They dealt with their own hurts. They dealt with death. And they grew weary at times, I'm sure. But they pressed on. And Paul told them to keep pressing on. And for us, in death and difficulty, we press on. In simplicity, we press on. And we don't grow weary of doing good. Ben can go ahead and head on up. I wanna end with this question. If Paul was to write to Legacy Church or say Adam, Pastor Adam went and planted another church somewhere or became a missionary somewhere and moved on and in 10 years he wrote back to Legacy Church, would he be writing to the church in a way that he was encouraged by how well we're loving people? Or would there be a lot of correction, like uh, maybe like Paul's letters to the Corinthians? Let's use this letter as an encouragement to love people well. Let, let's not allow it to just be a, something that we, that we hear, you know, kind of glance through, read through, and just go about life. But let's take an honest assessment of our lives. 
do I love some, do I love the people around me so well? Do I love the people in the church so well? Do I love the people in my communities, in my workplaces so well? That Pastor Adam would write to Legacy Church and say, I am proud of how well you're loving people. Honestly, right? I mean, it's easy to just say, oh yeah, of course, but honestly, are we loving people so well that we would get that letter? As we wrap up, I'm gonna pray for us.